Hey gang, Wes Buck here, Drag Illustrated Magazine, checking in. It is Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. Holy moly, Halloween's almost here. Really hard to believe how quickly this e- this racing season has gone by. I look around and I'm seeing things like world finals, finals on schedules, and it's uh, at the bare minimum massively uncomfortable. But as always, we've got a barn burner of a show for you today. I kind of butchered the pronunciation of that. Like if it's my own catchphrase, I feel like I need to do better. We've got a barn burner burner of a show for you today. We get to chat with someone who I just hold in in really high regard. And of course, uh, on the heels of some kind of unsettling news, but ultimately positive news, uh, especially for the gentlemen involved. Uh, huge shakeup in the sport of drag racing last week when this news dropped. Jay Cox announcing his ultimately departure from the sport of drag racing. Jay Cox has been a much, uh, much loved character on the door slammer drag racing scene for better than a decade now. I think I first, uh, we talk about this a little bit today, but uh, I first crossed paths with my buddy Jay uh, well over a decade ago as he was getting his feet wet as an up and coming door slammer racer out on the, the East Coast. And like I said, made big news this week because he's become kind of a permanent fixture with the Professional Drag Racing Association. Uh, big money door slammer drag races. Jay Cox is almost always there with his famed and feared pumpkin. But he did announce last week that he would be taking a, uh, a considerable step back from the sport of drag racing. I do believe we're going to see him in a tuning capacity uh, on a lot of different levels. But as far as a, a regular behind the wheel, it would appear those days are behind us. Two young kids got to... Other things to focus on, at least for the next, uh, what I think we he consistently referenced seven, eight years. I wonder if that means he's got a timer set. Not that he's that kind of guy, but I can't help but wonder if he's going, all right, I got to give him seven or eight years to my family, and then I'm going to be back at the drag races. But anyways, really, really, really interesting conversation with Jay Cox. Um, crazy, awesome guy. Uh, great storyteller. Perhaps nobody uh, that's more passionate, fired up about the sport of drag racing as Jay, especially in this moment. He's a real character, and he's somebody that we've leaned on. And I, maybe this is a little bit of a PSA. And a reminder of because the status uh, that that Jay Cox has achieved, the place, the the place he finds himself in his racing career, of course, has a lot to do with the success he's had on the racetrack. A lot of big wins, perennial championship contender, perennial record setter, always in the mix. Jay Cox is a guy that's always in the mix, especially if you're talking about PDRA Pro Nitrous. But I would argue Outlaw Pro Modified as a whole. He's a guy that's always a part of the conversation. He's someone that you never want to see on the opposite side of the ladder. You don't want to have to race him. Uh, if you're going to race him, you want to race him in the final. You certainly don't want to have to get through those uh, shark-infested waters that early in the day. But anyways, I would argue that a lot of Jay's success has been his candor, his personality. He's a charismatic individual that has consistently put himself out there. And I hope it serves as something of a reminder maybe to the masses that being successful is a big help. There's no doubt about it. Having having some success on the racetrack is a, a big advantage. However, being a big character, being willing to share your thoughts and your feelings and say what you think and live with the consequences, I think that's the X factor. Like, I don't know that despite his success, John Force, as an example, 16-time world champion, arguably the greatest of all time. Not very many people you can argue with that about. Maybe Don Garland's competes with him. But if you consider longevity, especially longevity of actually driving and being a competitive force, John Force is a runaway pick for the greatest of all time when it comes to drag racers. Despite all that success, 
I don't think John Force is the John Force that we know and love without his personality, without the showmanship that he embraced at a very, very early, early point in his career. So anyways, if there's a takeaway from any of this stuff, for any of us, I can't help but feel like it's embracing your character. Listen, I've never had any problem expressing my opinions, but what we're doing here is bigger than that. These are conversations that need to be had in an unfiltered way. Drag racing's all I've ever done. It's all I care to do. I respect the history. I appreciate how far we've come, but I want more for this sport, and I'll fight for it. It's uncut, it's unfiltered. This is the show of shows. The biggest names in drag racing. No holds barred. This is the great American motorsport. Drag racing. Prove me wrong. I'll wait. Incredible time uh, in the sport of drag racing as a whole. We're fresh off the NHRA's annual pilgrimage to St. Louis, Missouri. Excuse me, excuse me. Madison, Illinois, right across the Mississippi River from downtown St. Louis. The arch in the background. It's such a picturesque venue. I got to give a little bit of shout out. There's a couple notes I want to a little bit of housekeeping here. Man, they're killing it with the NHRA broadcast. I feel I primarily consume the NHRA.TV broadcast, so I don't always watch the show. I watch the live stream pretty much all day. Uh, it's with me. It's either on my phone. Even if I'm out running around like Saturday, my son had a band competition outside Dallas. It's so nice that like while I'm sitting in the 400 degree uh, sun and melting, literally like almost melting, I almost didn't make it. I mean, these kids, you know, out on the field, I'm sure they were uncomfortable in like the full get up. But I mean, I was in shirts and a sh shorts and a shirt, and I was really uncomfortable. It was, it was, can't imagine wearing one of them goofy hats and all those different things and bibbers. They're like, they're like high water pants or whatever that the band kit. Anyways, I was watching, I was watching NHRA.TV, and I just want to give that whole group some credit because they're doing a lot more fun stuff. Like they're cutting to the city skyline. Some drone shots I saw from Z Max that were very good and they add a ton of depth so whoever stepped out of their comfort zone and said hey instead of watching these people put gold dust on the track or drive tractors back and forth let's show the scale of the event let's show the pit area let's show the awnings and the oh my god such great camera work it's a real real big step so uh Kudos to everybody involved with that. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Clay Milliken. Let me just run through off the top of my head. Just real quick breakdown of the weekend off the top of the dome, right? Off the top, right? I'm just going to shoot from the hip. No notes. These aren't meaningful notes. I'm not trying to lie. Okay. No notes. Uh, staring at the old lens here. Uh, Clay Milliken. Holy moly. Uh, did not expect that. I really didn't. Congrats to Clay Milliken. Three wins in one season. Uh, we talked to this guy right here on this very program a, a couple of months ago, and he talked. He told a story of waiting almost two decades to get his first win. I mean, it was heart-wrenching. I, I was questioning myself. Like, I think I'm a pretty willful and intentional, uh, intentional person. I feel like I've got a lot of uh, determination. I don't know that I got 19 years in me. 
Like, I don't know that I could keep beating my head against the wall for two decades trying to get in the winner's circle at an NHRA national event. But Clay Milliken's that guy, and he's being rewarded right now. Three wins in one season, absolutely championship contending. What a difference. What a season for Rick Ware Racing. Um, huge shout out to this guy and the commitment that he's made to that team, the financial commitment that he's made to that team, because clearly they were just a, some some fresh parts uh, and a little bit of a new strategy away from being a real contender out here. And I, I would argue, I've said this to Clay, there are some guys and gals that our sport really benefits from being successful. And I, I, this is such a tough thing to talk about because our, we're blessed as a community to have all these people that contribute and participate and they're kind of here sometimes and they pop in and they're around for a while and they pop out. We have a handful of real consistent characters that have some star power and having them be successful is really important because we just talked about this, right? You, you, you've got to meet those two worlds. You've got to be the character. You've got to be the personality, but we got to find a way to marry that up with some on-track success. And it is good for drag racing when someone as charismatic and excitable as Clay Milliken is in the winner's circle. Like that's a real victory. And I'm always quick to remind Clay, uh, as much as I offer congrats and well wishes, I also am quick to tell him thank you because that's the personality. That's the ambassador that we need. And so huge kudos to everybody involved in that program because it's important to the sport of drag racing that Clay Milliken's successful. Because oftentimes some of the best people and the best representatives and the people that we need in front of the camera, so often the case is that they they don't have that other piece of the puzzle. They don't have that the resources required. They don't have the, the budget required to make the long-term commitment. Whatever the case may be, they're just one piece away. And I'm so glad to see Clay kind of seemingly have all the pieces right now. Um, I, I think we saw some incredible racing across the board. I, I wanted to talk about this because I think it's important to talk about. And I didn't plan this, and I don't have notes prepared. I wish I would have prepared them now. But I want to talk a little bit about the significance of this rivalry between Eric Enders and Greg Anderson. Not enough. We as a sport, myself included, everybody involved, Drag Illustrated, I mean, I'm, I'm lumping it on all of us. We've all got to own this. Throughout the course of sports, like all sporting history, rivalries have driven the bus. Like, if you look at... The, the rivalry between the Celtics and the Lakers in the NBA, the National Basketball Association, and by proxy, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, that rivalry, the individual competitor rivalry and the team rivalry, the community rivalry, the coast rivalry, this international rivalry, it took the NBA out of like relative obscurity to superstardom. That they wrote the NBA as a whole were really struggling in the 70s and early. Like this isn't a great time for organized basketball. I mean, there's all these racial undertones. There's all these things happening around basketball. And it's a real problem. And on the back of this rivalry, which again had racial undertones, you got Magic Johnson, you got Larry Bird, total opposite ends of the spectrum um, in a multitude of different ways, uh, teams that represent different cultures, right? You got this kind of blue collar workman journeyman attitude that exists out on the East Coast. It's kind of a roughneck deal. And then you got the Showtime Lakers and, you know, the, the, the stadium, the arena is more of a nightclub than it is a, a sporting venue, right? Totally different. Uh, it, all those things contributed to this incredible high tide moment for basketball. And the reason I give all this context 
is because we're sitting on a gold mine. And that is Erica Enders versus Greg Anderson. It has all those exact same dimensions. Not exact same, that's a bit of a stretch, but so many of those dynamics exist between these two people to between these two camps. I mean, think about it, dude, it's red and blue. Even the colors compete, right? Like the only place red and blue look good together on is the flag, right? I mean, they compete. Those, those colors fly in the face. It's resell red and no sell blue. Like it's, it's there. I mean, there's so many layers to this. If God, if the good Lord would have given us Chevy versus Ford, I don't even know where we would be at. But my point is, you've got a woman, a Houston, Texas native, the uh, a real, what do you say, like the girl next door race car driver, right? Somewhat unassuming, um, oftentimes pretty quiet. You know, she obviously can come out of her shell and she's doing that more so now than perhaps ever. But I'm just saying, I'm trying to paint the picture of, of who this person represents, the Erica Enders team, right? Then you've got, you know, crew chief turned race car driver, decades of experience, Greg Anderson, right? This guy's been a professional race car driver for decades now, um, represents a totally different kind of the, the do it yourselfer, the drag racing of yesteryear. Erica Enders is a modern day specialist. She's a world-class race car driver, right? Greg comes from a different time, a different era. So it, it sets those conversations up, which are conversations that are good. The same way you hear that LeBron could never have played in the 80s in the NBA because they had broke his back and they just split him in half, blah, 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 all this silliness. But my point is, those are valuable storylines. You need people to pick a camp. You need people to have an opinion because if people don't care, well, people don't care, right? That's the problem is you got to find a way to make them care. You know, and these are tools that you use girl versus boy, blue versus red, right? Chevy versus Ford. Like the list goes on. I mean, it's tide versus, well, I'm fortunate enough that I don't do much laundry in my house. So I have no idea what the good example gain, gain, uh, shout out to the wifey Lish. Love you, babe. Can't do it without you. Um, but I mean, tide versus gain, all those things are a part of this deal. So why haven't we as a sport, and this is my question to you, it's something that I genuinely worry about, I labor over. Why haven't we gotten behind this more so? And I think it's because we're all pansies. Everybody gets up in their feelings so quickly. Everybody's, and I meant I should have talked to Jay Cox about this because I think our sport, we could use a little bit of the thick skin that exists in stick and ball sports. There's plenty of those guys that are sensitive, right? Just look at Twitter. You can sense it. It's pretty obvious, but they're a little more accustomed to being picked apart. They're a little more accustomed to having their results analyzed. That's not, there's not as much media in drag racing. There's not enough analyzation or, excuse me, there's not enough analysis happening of our events to really produce a lot of that. But I guess, why aren't we making more of this as a sport? And, and I'll take, I mean, I present, I'm going to present it to my team just so you know, I'm going to take action. I'm going to tell my team, like, why aren't we, I want to know, why aren't we investing more time and energy celebrating, showcasing, highlighting, creating content around the Erica Enders versus Greg Anderson rivalry? Because I look at 2022 and that was for me personally, and I know I'm not everybody, but like that rivalry table the cars table any of the run it's got legs like these people genuinely don't like there's some real disdain there i do think that this rivalry has been largely good-natured i've seen these two camps operate 
very closely for a long time. And I see a lot of respect. I see a lot of mutual admiration. And you know what? I think we should be big enough kids to be able to talk about this stuff and nobody get all offended. Right. But we've got to get, we've got to fan the flames. It feels like we've tried to snuff them out. We need to fan the flames. I mean, we need to be doing everything we can because this is the type of rivalry. And you know what? The ship may have sailed. We may be a day late and a dollar short. I, I do think that we're seeing two people that are kind of heading in toward the, the latter phase or the, the, the final stages of their career. I don't think it's happening soon, but I do think we've lost some time here. Like you've got two ch champions that are both staring down the barrel of a sixth world title, right? Erica's won 45 races. Greg's won 100. There's arguments to be made, 104, I think. Um, there's arguments to be made about like, where is Greg in his career arc versus where she is, right? Has she accomplished more? There's all these layers to it, right? There, there's uh, the, the customer dynamic and teammates. I mean, Bo Butner used to race and won a world championship for KB Titan, right? Now he drives and brought a sponsor to the table at Elite Motorsports, right? Then you've got Jason Lyon spent years and years and years as a part of KB Titan. Now he's over at uh, Elite. And there's all these, there's new ownership. Eric Latino, Jim Whiteley, there's new blood involved in Pro Stock. First time in a long time. We got Camry Caruso, new teams. There's Matt Hartford used to rent engines from Elite Motorsports. Now he rents engines from KB Titan. Like there's all, I mean, how many, how much more do you need, right? I mean, there's a thousand opportunities for you to pick a side. Thousand reasons. Maybe you don't like. There's also. I mean, Erica is very polarizing, right? I mean, there's there's all sorts of layers to this onion. Maybe you don't like people from the Carolinas, right? Maybe you don't like Midwesterners. I don't know. But there's so many ways to get attached to what's happening right now, and to kind of like an ongoing recurring theme of today's show. That's what that that's what you need. You we've got all the pieces there, right? We don't just have part of them. Because just imagine if we had all these rival, like, just think if we had all these things I just talked about, but they both sucked, never qualified, right? Never met each other in competition, right? Like we had th that, it seems like that would be our luck as drag racers. Like, oh, of course, we've got everything needed for this epic rivalry, but they've never qualified and therefore they'll likely never compete in a meaningful fashion. Dude, these teams are neck and neck trying to kill one another at all times. I mean, there's there, a fight almost broke out. I mean, I'm fairly certain there were some words exchanged on the starting line this past weekend in St. Louis between these camps. And I'm not trying to like incite a riot. Like, don't get me. I don't want to like be on TV getting grilled. What are those things they do whenever you're like on C-SPAN? Seems really uncomfortable. We have to like answer all the questions from the government people. I don't want to do that stuff. Like the, the, the insurrection or whatever you guys call it, the people that call it that. Um, I'm not trying to start a riot. Nobody needs to storm the Capitol or whatever we would do in drag racing terminology. But like these, like it's okay. Like it's okay for these guys to, to not like each other. Like it's all right. And we'll all rebuild. And you know what? We'll be big kids when it's time to be big kids. I've seen that. I want everybody to know that, like, I've seen it. I have meetings very frequently that include members from the KB Titan and Elite Motorsports. Like, anytime I talk to the pro board, just so everybody knows kind of, like, the inner workings of these things. Ask me questions if you want to know. I got to be honest. I feel super lucky. I've got a seat right now to the show that I've never had. I've got some perspective that I've never had. I'm getting to see some things that I've never seen before. I'm having some conversations that I've never had before. 
like it's really incredible. And I, I want to be an open book because I think it can help our sport. But I have personally worked with both these teams and I have seen them work together for the common good. I have seen them put their own interests aside to do what needs to be done for drag racing, a specific event. I mean, think about it. KB Titan, Greg Anderson, Jason Line, a whole slew of these guys supported the Drag Illustrated uh, World Door Slammer Nationals down in Orlando for two years. I've known these guys for decades. Like I've, Greg Anderson's been on the cover of the magazine uh, at least a couple times, once with Jason Line. Um, like I hold that team in high regard. There's some wonderful people over there that I know really well. Um, and the same can be said about the Elite Motorsports Camp. And, I, and the only reason I'm providing this context is I want everybody to know that it's nobody's got to be the devil. Like, it's not like Waterboy and mama calling everybody the devil, right? It, you, you don't, there doesn't have, it doesn't have to be that. Like, I don't hate everybody that likes the Raiders. You know what I mean? But there's a big rivalry between Chiefs fans and the Raiders fans. And yes, I'm owning the Chiefs right now until they lose. They're still my team. All right. So my point, though, is that we can have a good-natured, spirited rivalry. And you know what? We can have some arguments or whatever. As a culture, as a community, we got to celebrate this because this is something that a little girl somewhere could watch, could hear about it. So you're telling me that there's a place in the world where Erica Enders can compete against grown men and not only be competitive, but in many cases, dominant. Like, that's inspiring. Right? Isn't not that's something that I think some mom that's going shopping at a mall somewhere today knows nothing about drag racing could hear about and go, you know what? That's something I could get behind. That's something I would in encourage and support my children paying attention to. Or maybe that's something that we should, we've been looking for something to follow along with. Now we got drag racing bracket bonanza and we can all do brackets or whatever. Like there's a lot of ways to get into this fight and, and be a part of it. And I just think it could really be a powerful force in our sport. Collectively, we play it down all the time. It, it doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, we have to talk about it more. We have to be okay with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird not being friendly. They can be friendly later. They can be friendly when the movie's over. We're still filming right now, right? We'll do that later. But I just, I really think that this is something that we're missing. And as I see Greg Anderson score his 104th, 105th win um, this year, and do it the way that he's doing it, kind of coming out of let, like he sneaks up on you. Like, I don't know how Greg Anderson ever sneaks up on anybody, but he's not really like, he's not your pick on like Saturday night, but you're going, he's probably going to find a way to win this race, but that's what champions do. And if you think about this, we got two competitors, one with five championships, both with five world championships, both trying to score their sixth, both trying to make their case for greatest of all time conversation as it comes to pro stock. And both with valid arguments. This is a great moment and they're still relevant right now. Matter of fact, interestingly, I think they're 27 and 25. So like they've met 52 times in competition and they're damn near even. Like even that adds a layer to it, right? That they've raced each other 52 times in NHRA competition and they've about split them. So like how many more layers to this do I need to provide before as a sport we go, okay, holy shit, this is special. This is something that we're going to be talking about and we're going to badly miss. Mark my words, if either one of these two drivers retire, we are going to miss this badly. And we don't have it in any other category in professional drag racing right now. 
right? Like, I don't care what your take is on fuel racing versus pro stock racing or blah, blah, blah. Pro, doesn't matter. We have a once, I think it could be argued like a once in a lifetime rivalry. Like, I don't know that there's no sure bet that we'll see something quite like this again. It's special. It, it, it's, it's lasted for years. All the details that I've laid out here, and we've got to get behind it as a sport. Like, it could help pro stock. We, we need to lean into this. Everybody needs, and I, again, not trying to incite a riot, not trying to get a bunch of shit stirred up, but trying to make a point that there are endless examples I mean, look at all how rivalries have contributed to college football. Look at how rivalries have contributed to college basketball. Look at how they've contributed to the NBA, which I've already made that argument. Look about the MLB, Yankees versus Red Sox. Thank you. Think about boxing, like Muhammad Ali versus Frazier, right? I mean, like, like Tyson versus Vander Holyfield. Uh, I mean, there, I can give you, I mean, there's a lot of examples, right? And it's just, I mean, and here's another one. Um, what was the dude who played Billie Jean King? The battle of the sexes, the uh, not John McEnroe, who played him the first, played her the first time. It doesn't matter. But I mean, there's been this is we're on that level. I mean, that was a transcendent moment for all of sports when we've got guy playing girl in tennis. This is a huge moment. The world got behind it, right? We've got that playing out right before us. But for some reason, we're like hesitant to like. If I'm NHRA, I'm doing a five minute bit in. Every broadcast from here until this deal's over, we're checking in on the elite KB rivalry or the going, let's dive, let's take a look because there's like all the head-to-head stats, all these things that we need to be talking about. This is, it's part of creating the story and we're not doing a very good job supporting the story. The story's there. The, the ingredients are there. The characters are there. We've got to do a better job telling it. Uh, so what else did I want to talk about? Tickets going on sale with the World Series of Pro Mod coming up straight away. I think we're going to go live with tickets on Friday. We were supposed to go live with tickets yesterday. Um, I just forgot, to be honest. I mean, I hate, I'm just, I literally, we've got a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, huge shout out to everybody. Over 5,000 forms were sent in for Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30. Let's give it up. Thank you guys so much. Um, Without a question, one of the biggest challenges we face every year is the 30 under 30. Sorting through, you think about it, that's 5,000 nominations. Each one of those forms have three people on them. And now, obviously, there's some, there's overlap, and some people say the same thing, and, you know, oftentimes hundreds of people say the same thing. But there's as many as 15,000 names, and you're going, God, I hope there's a lot of overlap is what you're doing when you're looking at the Google spreadsheet. Like, you're going, please, God, a lot of these people be the same. But nonetheless, it's such a cool process. And I just want to give a shout out to the team, um, Drag Illustrated, everybody involved, starting with Nate Van Wagen, Mike Carpenter, uh, JT Hudson, Kayla, Nancy, uh, Nate, I mean, everybody that's involved, Van, Blake, Jason, Josh, uh, other Josh, uh, Caroline, holy moly, Van, there's an army. And it's so fun. Craig, uh, James, John Ford. Anyways, there's so many people involved in this project. And I hope, I want you guys to know like what it feels like. So we literally get a spreadsheet and Nate leads a conference call and we go through this bad boy line by line. So it's Joe drag racer. He's 26. His mom nominated him. He's from Oregon. Uh, and he got his first race car this year. Right. And then the next one is like, okay, it's, uh, it's somebody's mom. These are a lot of moms and shout out to the moms out there. Drag racing is just full of rock and awesome moms, like just great moms, 
across the board. World of a pit, a world full of great moms. Uh, in this, these nomination forms remind me of it every year. I'll get thousand words for those of you that aren't in the biz. Maybe don't know the ref, the, the significance of a thousand words. That's a lot. That's like three or four pages. Pretty easy. Um, double spaced for sure. If you're like turning in and turning it in in high school or college. Yeah, absolutely. It's several pages. Um, but these women, these mothers write these incredible stories that just rip your heart to pieces. You're reading it and Nate's telling me these details, right? This is like, all right, this kid, he takes his brother racing. He's, uh, almost serves as a second father. He's the only, he does this. He rebuilds transmissions during the day and then he works all night. At a, yeah, I mean, it's these incredible tales and it just reminds me of how special this community is and how many incredible people comprise it. And I just, I'm so proud of the 30 under 30. I want to give a shout out to all of our sponsors, all the companies that have supported this over the years, everybody that's filled out a nomination form, the people that have been a part of it. Over 200 kids have been celebrated and highlighted and showcased by half, uh, on behalf of the Drag Illustrated 30 under 30. This will be our eighth class uh, of kids. I'm just super proud of this project. I don't know that there's any more important work that we do at Drag Illustrated than this. Uh, I give this speech every year in Indy uh, during the PRI show, the Performance Racing Industry Trade Show, uh, that uh, first, second weekend, early December every year. And I want, for me personally, just my personal anecdotal thing on the Drag Illustrated 30 under 30. And here, I'm going to air out some dirty laundry. I don't really care what anybody thinks about it because I know why we do it. And I know that what we're doing, we're doing on purpose. Uh, and there's a method to what we're, what we're doing. And I know what it's like personally to spend my nights and weekends going drag racing, to forego stick and ball sports, to go drag racing. Um, and here's a unique position that I come from is that I know what it's like to make all those decisions and not get to drive the car. And I'm going to like get choked up here because I see so many kids and so many young people that, that throw in the towel or punt or, or opt to do something else because they're not going to get an opportunity to drive. I went racing with my dad and my uncles every weekend of my life. Uh, I, I spent my nights. I didn't have any friends that were my age. All my friends were fucking 40. Um, when I was 15, my best friends were 45 right? Because all I did was go racing with my dad and it was never even on, it wasn't even a thought that I'd get to drive the car that, that really never even crossed my mind because my dad drove, my uncle drove like that. That just, I never even thought I might get that opportunity until I was at a point where I could buy my own race car. And I just, I know personally what it's like. I gave up high school football. I, I didn't do anything else. I didn't, I got the hook in me so young and I made all those decisions and I forewent the beer parties and I, I, I gave up all that. I gave up all that experience that some kids get because I wanted to go drag racing. It's all I wanted to do. As bad as I took one to take my next breath, I wanted to go drag racing. Well knowing that I had no idea how I was ever going to get to let out of the clutch myself or get to let off the butt or be the one racing. I knew that the only way that was going to happen is if I worked my ass off and ultimately could afford my own stuff. And to be honest, it's the reason that I'm not like actively racing right now is because I'm still building. 
I'm still building my business. I'm still building my fam. I'm still laying foundation right now. I've been in this game for a long time, but like I'm, I'm comfortable with it and I'm able to table those desires because I know that I'm building something of permanence that will afford me the opportunity to race later in life. But the reason I give that perspective is I know how important it is as a young person to get a little bit of validation to get recognized, to get a pat on the back. And the reason I know how important it is because I never got one, all right? And that's not me like throwing stones or anything like that. But like, I didn't get that, right? I didn't, that's not like, it wasn't an attaboy environment, you know? And for me, and I also know that there were no outside systems outside of like my own family or whatever to provide that, right? There was no magazine. There was no website. This is pre-social media. That's going to give me a bunch of kudos and make me feel good. None of that shit existed. And that's why I feel so strongly about the value of the 30 under 30 program. I actually had a guy tell me that they sponsored the deal a few years ago and somebody didn't wear the right shirt or something. And so the pictures that we use were wrong. And so therefore they saw no value in it, in the sponsorship. And I said, oh, well, I don't want you to be involved at all because you don't have to sponsor this deal. You don't have to be involved in it at all. You don't have to nominate somebody. If you don't see value in the Drag Illustrated 30 under 30, you're, 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 you're dense. Like you, you're not, you maybe can't see value in anything because I would argue that there's nothing more important than making sure the people that are making those tough decisions that I just talked about are being commended for it, right? We, they need positive reinforcement. Drag racing doesn't give you a lot of that. You worked your ever-loving ass off. You did everything right, and you broke out by a thousand, right? Or it was that guy's day. He couldn't go wrong. He couldn't. He could do no wrong. Drag racing will break you down, right? And I feel strongly that there have to be systems in place to build people back up. People are like a coil spring. Every time they're compressed, they bounce back a little bit less, just like the valve springs on your race car, right? You check them for a reason because they break down over time. Humans are much similar. And I think about drag racers, young drag racers specifically, it's very important that these people have the opportunity to, to have someone keep those spring, check those springs, right? Make sure they're there. Keep them, keep them good, right? And that's what the 30 under 30 does. That's why this is so important. And I don't care what you think of our criteria. I don't care if you think that it's a popularity contest. I don't care. I don't care at all. I don't care because I know what this deal is for. And I know the good it does because I see it. I see the kids that we put on those lists becoming world champions. I see them getting sponsorships from corporate America. I see them growing their careers. I see them selling merch. I see them developing a follow on social. I see them turning their racing into a business. I see them collaborating together to solve problems and further their personal careers or further whatever project they're working on. Like I know it's working, so I don't really care. Like I don't need any sort of outside. I get, I get all that I need when I walk onto that stage at PRI and I look out at a sea of hundreds of people that have flown from all points of the globe to be here for their shot at a moment in the sun. And there's not anything that anybody can say, whatever, put some stupid shit on Facebook. I don't care. I don't care because I know why we're doing this and I know the good it's doing and we'll never not do it. And I challenge anybody that's got a problem with it to do your own deal. Come on in. The water's warm right? Why don't you spend a bunch of money and time and energy and everything else in a decade of your life focused on something? 
and, and trying to celebrate other people, doing it selflessly, right? Doing it for others. Because that's something that you'll see here. And um, Jay Cox and I touch on it a little bit in our interview is that like, we're always happy to put others over. That's what we're here for. We want to use this platform that we've built for the benefit of others, not to make the, the, our slice of the pizza bigger, but to make it bigger for everyone so that everyone gets more. Right. And so anyways, I just wanted to make that point because uh, I'm so proud of where we're at with the DI 30 under 30. Thank you guys so much for being a part of it. Thank you all for the nominations. It means the world to me. I know it means so, so much to all these kids. My team that works tirelessly on this project. Thank you. We are doing a good thing. Don't ever stop. Don't let anyone ever make you question it uh, because this is a fantastic thing for the sport of drag racing. Um, kind of closing notes. Super excited for this end of the NHRA season. I'm especially excited about the end of the PDRA season. I think there's some great drag racing going on. Can't wait to see what Jay Cox does in these last two at-bats behind the wheel of his Pro Nitrous Camaro. Um, holy moly. Mike Salinas went 300 miles an hour a couple weeks ago. Don't think we missed that. Huge moment for the sport of drag racing. Plan to have Mike on here to break that down in the coming weeks. Um, what else do we got? Hey, man, real quick. Last thing. Help us. Click like, click share, click subscribe, help us spread this, help us uh, spread the gospel of drag racing and help us shine a light on people like Jay Cox and conversations like the the one we just had a little bit one-sided, I guess, there for me, my bad. Uh, but to the Erica Enders, Greg Anderson conversation, help us, help us spread these messages, help us make sure that drag racing stays top of mind. I say this every week, but maybe not every week, but I, uh, it's worth repeating. It's easy to be excited on Friday and Saturday. It's pretty excited on sun, exciting on Sunday too, right? The elimination day, race day, it's easy to be shouting from the rafters. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that our sport needs help. We got to keep ourselves front and center. We got to keep ourselves top of mind. We got to keep these conversations going through the week because oftentimes they lose, they lose energy. The wave starts to die down, right? Everybody's all fired up Sunday night and there's all these storylines and people have opinion. But by the time we're at work on Monday, we got other things to focus on. We got other things to talk about. We got to work together to change that, right? And stay a part of the conversation day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We want people talking about drag racing and if not talking about it, thinking about it. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this. Uh, I hope you enjoy this week's uh, chat with Jay Cox. I think you're going to love it. Uh, remember, let us know who you want us to talk to. Let me know what you want to talk about. I love answering your questions. We're thinking about introducing a standalone piece of programming where I'll just ask questions. But for the meantime, send me a DM, send me a text, send me an email, Wes at dragillustrated.com, at Wes Buck Show on Instagram, at Wes Buck Show on Twitter, uh, now known as X. Uh, and you, of course, find me on Facebook, likely where you saw this. Send us a message on YouTube. However you want to do it. Send a carrier pigeon fax. I know a guy who's got a fax machine still. Email really works well, though. Like, I, if just to kind of, upon further evaluation, I'd, I'd like to get everybody to stick to email. So, Wes at dragillustrated.com. Send me your thoughts, and we will uh, we'll dive into it right here on the show. Enjoy the interview, and I will see you next week on uh, the Drag Illustrator YouTube channel, Facebook pages, and everywhere else podcasts are sold. Every episode of the West Buck Show is made possible by way of our friends at Redline Synthetic Oils. Redline has a reputation with racers and hardcore enthusiasts for creating products that perform and protect better than any on the market, and they've been doing it since 1979. Whether it's your race car, your tow rig, your motorcycle, or your lawnmower, when you think about lubricants, you need to think about Redline. For more information, log on to redlineoil.com. Jay, so this is like this is like a bittersweet interview is kind of what it feels like. I'm halfway... I really don't even know where to start, but I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for some news that broke last week. 
that would indicate that one of the all-time favorite outlaw door slammer drivers that uh, are still in the game, the one, the only Jay Cox, driver of the world-famous Pumpkin 69 Camaro, is uh, looking at stepping away from from the, the race car business a little bit, maybe at least behind the wheel uh, starting at the end of this season. It's kind of added a lot of juice around these last couple PDRA races, right? Because I think there are fans and and people out there going, oh man, this may be one of the last times I get to see this guy behind the wheel. Uh, this is a huge, big news. And I'm sure you saw the outpouring of support, man, like people coming out of the woodwork to to give you kudos for, for making the decision to put your family first. But I got to be honest, there are a big group of us here too. They're like, Oh, the kids will be okay. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll bounce back. The kids are, you know, kids are resilient. You know, you got to put them through their pay. I kid, I kid, buddy. Tell me what brought you to this point. What, what brought you to this moment where you feel like maybe it's time to take a step back from driving Jay? Um, you know, I hate to go back to uh, COVID, but you know, with COVID start, we took a break from racing. All of us, we, we, we got three or four races that year. That was it. My kids were kind of at the age where they started doing stuff. My little girl plays softball, gymnastics, does plays, does songwriting. My little boy's into baseball. He plays on two or three ball teams. I didn't get to miss anything through that. You know, I was always there. I got to see everything. Those little moments um, um, that when I'm at the racetrack, I get to miss. And then racing kind of picked back up and we started. And I missed those. I didn't want to. You know, I only get, like I told you, I only get one shot at this thing called being a dad. And um, you're, you're 100% right what you said. I, I know you took it back. They will be okay. I won't. You know, I, I won't have, when I get a little older, I won't have that that memory. That, that when my little girl won the gold medal in gymnastics. Like, I won't have that memory. I won't sit in there when she done it. You can look at a video on the phone all you want, but it don't. it's not the same as being there in person, feeling it. You know, I'm used to feeling things in a baseball game. My hair stands on the back of my neck. I feel it. I, I want that memory. I want to be there. I want to I want to be able to smell it, to feel it, to see it, the whole nine yards. And that's probably what brought it on. I love dra- drag racing, Wes. You know, you know that. I love this sport right now more than I've ever loved it. And I'm not saying I'm gone forever. But for the next seven, eight years, while my kids are doing things that are very important to them, I want to be there for them. My dad was always there for me. And racing's just going to have to take a back seat to that. Um, a lot of people see it and they think, man, this guy makes a lot of money racing or, or this guy does this full time. They don't understand it. I run a business. I run two businesses. I own two businesses I run. Racing is fourth or fifth in line. And you know, I know people that do it understand it. When you go racing, that's just a small part of the deal. When this rig backs in, it's a day unloading it. It's a day doing inventory on parts and stuff. It's a day or two days, usually, depending on how hard we run the car, servicing it and maintaining it. It's another day or two ordering parts. It's a day or two restocking the trailer. It's a day getting all the food and everything organized to go racing. I don't have that many days left when I have two young kids, you know. I don't have anybody full-time that, 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 that can get all this ready for me. And probably all that to, together combined probably helped me make my decision. I have to eliminate some things out that's not that important to me to have more time with my kids. It, it's such a tough thing to make people understand because I think anytime we talk about drag racing, the thing that we talk about the most is how much this stuff costs. 
And I, th- and I actually kind of get tired of that conversation to, to be honest. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every effort needs to be made to keep our sport as affordable as humanly possible and all those things. But in some of these endeavors, when you start talking about pro modified racing, when you start talking about pro stock racing, uh, in anything at that level or beyond it, making it cost effective is kind of out the window. The boat, the budget's been busted for a, for a long time. Right. But the thing people really gloss over is the time commitment. And I think I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's one thing to spend all the money, but the people that are successful spend all the time too. Yes, sir. And that's really the difference. So if you're going to race at a high level, you, you've got to make that several nights a week, several days a week surrounding this race pro. It ain't eight PDRA races, right? I mean, it's everything that surrounds going to eight PDRA races. So I, I have a lot of appreciation for that. I mean, is it, how do you, I guess, how do you wrap your head around such an abrupt halt? Because I think what I'm trying to get you to talk about is that you're finding some reward standing outside of the car. Is that correct? I mean, you're, you're starting to see that there's something in that tuning aspect that you get a kick out of as well. This is it's, it's not abrupt. Don't think it's abrupt. Yeah. I've kind of kept it secret. If last year happened, so, so the way me and Marcus do, and by the way, I love the Butners. They're great people, best people I've ever raced for. They like to talk halfway through the season. Any professional racing deal, contract, whatever you got, you typically talk middle of the season. That way you know where you stand at leading up to the next year. If you need to find some sponsorship or money, whatever, you got plenty of time to do that. You know, wintertime is rough to try to put something together. So we talked last year, middle of the season. I told him, I said, hey, man, you know, I love this race and blah, 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 blah. I think I probably want to back off a little bit, you know. And am I the type of guy to go out there and say, hey, you know, I'm going to run two or three races a year and go have fun? Absolutely not because I'm too competitive for that, you know. And for me to go out there and think that I – Pro Nitrous, hands down, is the hardest, difficultest class to run. Do you think you can go out there and run two or three races and compete and compete at the top? Absolutely not. If I can't run at the top, I don't want to do it. Um, so we talked about it last year, and we had some new motors, had some new stuff, driveline stuff we wanted to work out. And he's like, hey, man, give me one more year. Let's get all this worked out, and then you tune for me. You just you give me those eight weekends. That's all I ask, those eight weekends. Everything else I'll handle. He, he's got full-time guys that work on the car and service. I just want you for eight weekends to tune this thing. I want to keep the team together. And so I agreed with it. Halfway through the season, we talked about it. And then I just told him, I said, man, and I told you, I want to clear the air. I don't want to think it's nothing. Ne- this is not negative. This is nothing negative, me backing out of racing. It's actually something positive. I just want to clear the air. I want everybody to know where I stand on the subject. And I, and I want it to be known. You know, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's nothing permanent. It could be. I might not never drive a race car again, and I'm perfectly fine with that. You know, when my kids are grown and, and, and they're gone and doing their thing, it might be something I come back to. or might not. I don't know. But uh, I have that opportunity. But, yes, I do love being around race cars. I love figuring out problems. Does that make sense? And- yeah, it does, man. I mean, that's what all this is built on the back of, right? The tuning problem side, solving. Yeah, the tuning side of it is – I can't tell you how many nights I've spent in that trailer right there in that door in my barn with the lights off, figuring out how to outrun the next guy, you know, and that's the part I love. Well, I still get to do that. And it only takes up eight weekends of my life. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, absolutely. And, and that's what I want. I, 
I, I got to help Lizzie. I tuned for Lizzie. Pat come to me at the end of last year. I worked on her stuff this winter. We went out and we've run really good with it. And I got to see that side of it. You know, it's not that demanding for me. The time frame, the working on it, the main, you know, maintaining a good tune up for that car. It don't take a lot of time to do that. Um, and then I got to tune for Buckner. We got our first win this year with his car, Maryland. I just. I enjoy that side of it. It's not that demanding for my time, and it's just something I like to approach for racing while I got two young kids, you know? Do you think that that's, like, there's a lot of stuff to touch on. I mean, so I guess first and foremost, so had your dad, like, for those that don't know, you're, the, the Jay Cox racing operation is quite the scene. Jay's a super intense guy, and for those that have been around him, I mean, he's a hyper-competitive dude. Um, but your father, Lloyd, uh, I sense that in him, but I've gotten to know him at a little bit later stage in life. Right. And he seems pretty chill and calm down when I'm around him. I'm just curious, like where did hyper competitive, I mean, Jay Cox come from? Cause you told me that your dad was always around for all your sporting stuff. And you know, another story that we need to talk about, people maybe don't realize those that only have gotten to know Jay Cox over the course of the last few years. Uh, this guy played professional baseball. I mean, where did this competitive streak in you come from? Absolutely. My dad. Um, my dad played softball growing up when I was a young kid and I got to go to his softball games. I can't tell you how many times I have seen him lose his cool, go crazy, rip his shirt off, throw something. <laughs> and that, that emotion or that love for something that you do to be the best at it, he instilled it in me and my sister, you know, and my mom was an athlete and, and she pushed for that. And so growing up as a little kid in my house, everything was either a bet or I guarantee you I could do it better. And so I was brought up, well, I want to be better than that at my sister. I want to be better than that at my, my cousin or my That's nephew awesome. or my niece. And, and our family just kind of, I don't know, man, they brought me up very competitive. You know, if my, my dad was that way. He made everything competitive growing up. You get to see my dad now calm down. I, I remember my dad making me ride in the back of the truck home from a football game or a baseball game and not talking with me. And I had to sit at the supper table with nobody could say a word. And I had to eat and pray to God I got to go to bed before dad fussed at me about playing bad. You know, that, that did he does he ever give you a hard time like you have a whole shot loss or you have some rough outing on the racetrack? Does he still got any of that in him? Are you going to sit by yourself at dinner? My, my dad is so calm and mellow. It's, to hear people talk about him, and I know my dad and the competitive side, I laugh about it because he's calm, he's laid down, he thinks through things, and I guess that comes with age, you know. Um, I think so. My, my dad had a bad fall my freshman year of college. He fell 18 feet and landed on concrete, and, it, and he messed up a, a part of his brain, and, and that was the part with the, the, the controlling the emotions and all that stuff and the doctor. And I don't know if that changed him or age. I want to say age, but – my dad likes to think through things. So if I have a bad race or – and by the way, from the time I was born until now, me and my dad eat breakfast together every morning. We eat lunch together every day. And so my dad's kind of the type. When the racing's over, kind of Sunday we get together, you know, if we're back home and we eat. We eat. He don't talk about racing. But now Monday morning at the breakfast table, he's like, hey, Bubba, uh, I need to know what happened. You know, I've gave you your time to calm down. Just go ahead and give me your answer. I'm either going to slap you or love you. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, so I got two questions and I, now I can't decide which one's more important. Um, I'm going to write it down so I don't forget it. But so was your dad a hot rodder? Man, my dad raced in the fifties and the sixties and the early seventies at Benson, believe it or not. Or, or all over, but I remember yeah. stories about Benson. He had a 67 Chevelle, a 66 Chevelle, a blue one. 
And I remember everybody telling the stories and about how fast it was and this and that. And see, all them cars back then, they had names. Like his was his was a Carolina Twister, and then he had the, the um, Goldfinger and stuff like that that they were racing. Well, I got to hear all these stories, and my dad's like, nah, right. nah, nah, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to bring my son around that. I don't want that. But I kept hearing the stories, and I wanted to see it, and I talked my dad into taking me to races. You know, my dad wanted me to focus on baseball, focus on baseball. But I just – Man, I enjoyed the sounds. I enjoyed the way that the cars made your chest rattle and stuff, you know. And um, so my dad my dad was in the race, and I heard the stories about him. I got him to take me to the racetrack, and he was totally against it. And then all of a sudden, something just changed, and boom, we, we kind of took off and started racing. Because when I first heard of Jay Cox, I got a phone call from Van Abernathy, uh, our old buddy Van, traveling uh, up and down uh, the highways and byways of America, selling subscriptions to Drag Illustrated, doing the Lord's work. Perhaps one of the coolest, like best all around human beings on the planet. Oh, yeah. Um, but Van called me and he goes, man, I got a story idea I want to pitch it. I'm like, yeah, what do you got? And early on, like in the early days of Drag Illustrated, I mean, all I did, I mean, Every single day was like make calls about like stories because back then there was just no one telling the stories, especially like that East Coast, Southeast door slammer contingent. They, there was all this buzz around small tire racing, pro mod racing, outlaw door slammer racing. But so many of these people were complete, complete unknowns. Right. So uh, he tells me that he's got this guy that's running at the big dog, the renegade class, I think it was. Right. Yep. Um, which was like four, eight, four, oh, like stock, big block, Chevy, bore spacing, single stage nitrous stuff. Um, and you had what that Studebaker. Right. Yeah. No, what was it? Yeah. That little red. And he goes this. He played told me your name and uh this guy played for the colorado Rockies. he's a pro baseball player and I, he went to you went to unc right yeah unc yeah. yeah so we're gonna get the car i've got permission to put the car out on the baseball field that he played on in college <laughs> and take pictures of it and i'm like i'm in whatever this takes whoever we've got to call um so how did take me through getting to racing renegade at piedmont dragway one of the most celebrated eighth mile drag strips in the country love this place so how did we get there? Man, I, I, I come up bracket racing, and I'm a terrible bracket racer. I'll go ahead and tell you. We go to the racetrack. The car could run the same number every single time, and I would figure out a way to make it run faster. And my dad's like, Bubba, this is not the point. We're trying to make it consistent. I'm like, I know, Dad, but I'm telling you, it'll run faster if we do this. <laughs> so we, uh, we did that for a couple years when, while I was still playing ball, you know, in the off season, And uh, – when when I was that last year of ball, when I was done, I come home and we went to Big Dog. We used to go to Big Dog. I love watching those guys run at Piedmont. And I told my dad, I said, "Man, we could get in this Renegade class." I said, "Dad, they just spray nitrous. It's not that much. You won't hurt nothing, you know." I said, "We could get in this deal and have a little fun." I love making the car faster. We win if we make it faster. My dad was totally against it. Nitrous was the devil. We're not supposed to run nitrous. Nitrous is terrible. It'll hurt the motor. So. We went down there and we kind of looked around and 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 I, my dad liked it. We liked the atmosphere and um, I ended up buying a, a 706 motor and we put a car together and uh, we went down there and I'll never forget it. Uh, I didn't know what a this is a funny story. I had no idea what a nitrous peel was, but uh, so so they put. Charlie Buck had the, had that motor and they put a 3632. For those that don't know, a nitrous jet. Yeah, right? yeah, but they call them pills. Yeah, yeah. 
I went down there and we ran it a little bit and made some laps on it and it ran good. I mean, it was it was about a tenth behind the field, but man, it was fast. I mean, it ran like 440s, like first time I ever went down the racetrack. And uh, I called Charlie. I said, Charlie, I don't know what them nitrous pills are, man, but send me a handful of them things because we more in here. And that, that's probably what started, man. The very first race I ever went to at Big Dog. It had a 36 jet in it. Yeah. So it's got a single fogger on it. Single right? fogger, yeah. Single fogger. All right. So you send me some more of them pills. Yeah. I want to put more pills in this thing. So oh, that's funny. He sent, he sent me some. You know, he sent them to me in stages. And I was in my barn and I opened it up and I looked at the very biggest one, which I think it was like a 46. And I, I called Charlie. I said, man, where does these things go? I can't figure out where they go. And he told me, man, you got to undo that little blue nut and put it in there. I put the biggest one I had in there, put the fuel jet in it, and I went to Big Dog and qualified number two. And my dad's like, yeah, I love this. I called Charlie Buck on Monday morning. And I said, hey, Charlie, send me some more of them nitrous pills, man. This is fun. He said, son, you're going to get to a point that it ain't fun. No. <laughs> Okay, so I want to hear more. I want to. What was the next step? So, what'd you do next? Because you ran that car for like at least two seasons that I remember. I, right? I, two seasons in Renegade. Yeah. 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 And uh, I, I really enjoyed Renegade, but the class won't go nowhere. No, nobody, you know, me and Charles Richards and um, John Lasseter and, and Jamie Chapel, those four guys, um, we kind of. I'm not going to say we ruined the class, but the class was like a high 30s, low 40s class, right? Being competitive like we were, we got it down into a 14, you know, 4014 class, and that drove the cost out of sight for the guys that wanted to do it. It drove, it it really, it it messed the class up. And and that's the nature of the beast with anything racing. So it's hard. We started losing cars, losing car count, and EOPM was started. And, um, Stuart Williams, I, I, man, I miss him. I love him. Um, he called me. He said, man, what do you think about coming and running with us? You know, back then they paid you well, it was free entry, no money to get in. They paid you like $1,000 to qualify. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, let's just buy us a 5.3. We'll put in this bad boy. We'll just go have fun. And <laughs> my dad's like, yeah, right. I've seen how that worked with Renegade. But we, we bought a 5.3, uh, a used motor, put it in it, and we ran – I don't know. We probably ran two or three races. I won the last race of EOPM at um, Galat with that deal. And uh, we run two or three races that year, run two or three big dogs. And then, uh, you know, got kind of got got looked at and some, 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 you know, wanted to go race at the higher level. The ADRL was, was going down then. PDRA was just starting up. And um, Bryant Mariner, me and him raced for two or three years he he kind of contacted me he wanted to do something and put a deal together and run pdra and so i sold all my stuff we put our money together and we bought the original pumpkin bought a fuel injected motor from charlie and then from there man it just my my love for the sport and my competitiveness just took off and Bryant, you know he loved he loved racing he loved he loved the competitiveness of me but he loved kind of starting stuff up and, and having fun with it and we just kind of took off from there man we 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 run we run right at the top right out right out the gate in pdra when it started we, we I've, I've run right at the top always and uh it's come with a big price a lot of work but that's that's kind of how it took off and it's just kind of built into what it is now you know what do you what do you when i mean you think back about it, the the 
the journey that you've had, Jay. Like, cause like Colin, not knowing what a, a nitrous jet was, what, not that long ago, right? I mean, if you think about it, that's really not that long ago. You're thinking 2010, so 12 yeah. years ago? 12, 13 years ago, you don't know what a nitrous jet is. And I would argue now that you're one of like the most feared <laughs> nitrous racers on the planet Earth. Well, so like, I mean, the competitive part of this deal is obviously a big part of it, but there's clearly uh, a, a serious comprehension of what's happening out here. So where does like your mechanical prowess, I mean, and your your passion for the the problem solving, because that's, I don't know that that always goes hand in hand with like super driven athletes, right? Well, I mean, you, you, you had that part of it, but you clearly have this other part, a little more intangible part that well, knows how to make this stuff work. Well, there's really two parts of that question. The, yeah. The first part, um, I didn't, you know, in racing, you got two options. You either got money and you can pay for it or you don't have money and you figure it out yourself. And necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't have the money, and everything I've ever done my whole entire life, I've kind of figured out for myself. Um, and so I knew nothing about nitrous, big cubic inch motors, fuel injection. And I've had some really good friends along the way, Billy Stockland and Danny Perry, hands down my two best friends. You know, when I first started, they kind of put me in the right direction. And... Um, I think that's where racing kind of evolved. Friends, good friends looking after one another um, and, and guys with not a lot of money. Now the sport's changed a little bit. I'm not going to say it's for the good or for the bad, but, man, there's a lot of people with a lot of money that can pay anybody to go teach them overnight. What, what took me a long time to learn. Um, you know, that's the first part. The second part, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a very smart guy by any means, but we're all smart with certain things in our life, cars, engines, mechanical stuff, man, I am driven by that. Like if I see a piece of machinery working instantly, my brain starts turning and I want to take it apart and figure out how it worked. I'll tell you a funny story. When I was little, all my toys, my mom and dad, they hated buying me toys. All my toys I got for Christmas, I take them apart. I couldn't put them back together, but I took them apart to figure out how yeah. it worked. Oh, yeah. And that, I've my mind has always worked that way, and that's why racing. That's why I've excelled at racing so much. I always tried something. I mean, we rented me and my dad rented South Georgia Motorsports Park when I first ran Renegade, and I tested for six days. And my dad tells his story. He exaggerates, but he tells he said we put forty six transmissions, eleven rear ends, and twenty seven converters in in six days. But it takes that to learn, you know, to understand the concept of how this works and why. And, and, and that's, you're right. 12 years ago, I was an idiot and I still feel like an idiot. Racing, racing teaches me something every day, but I have all that background of knowledge and experience that I know the direction to go with a race car, if that makes sense. You know, I know what makes that race car do what it does. I think it's how you don't hear that story too often, Jay, right? Like, because typically what you hear is like, so and so is going drag racing and they're going to make their first ever passes at the NHRA US Nationals. <laughs> they bought so and so's program. They bought so and so's truck and trailer. They bought so and so's stuff. They got the brand new deal from Musi or they got the brand new deal from Proline. They're going to show up. They got Jesus coming. Uh, <laughs> Steve Petty's coming. I think Tupac's going to be there. And yeah, we're going to make our first shakedown runs uh, 
we're just going to wait till eliminations start on Monday at the U.S. Nationals first ever passes. But that's just right. Yeah, that's it, it, the money. The money just has done that to this. Yeah. You know, could West Buck go by? Could West Buck go by Randy Weatherford's operation tomorrow and run Pro Boost? You know, there's not many people that can do that, and and. I, I'm certainly never been. I, I, my racing deal started out with me and my dad and a lot of sacrifices, and we slowly, little teeny pieces, put that deal together. You know. But it is interesting, man. Where did that like? Is that a sports thing? Is that a like? Because I, I do think that there's a. I mean, how many times do you have a conversation in this particular sport and somebody's talking about somebody being really successful? Um, you know, you're just you're kind of getting your feet wet in the no prep king scene. Well, pretty much everybody contributes, uh, excuse me, attributes Ryan Martin's success with how much he tests. You hear this all the time, like Doug Coletta in Top Fuel and Funny Car right now or Top Fuel, NHRA Top Fuel. That team's testing this week. You know what I mean? They're in the midst of the NHRA countdown and they're making time to test. Um the teams that are like moving the needle make a lot of runs. Are you like, where did that come from? That appreciation for practice? Is that a sports driven mindset? You think Jay and Hey gang, remember that each and every episode of the West Buck show is made possible by way of the team at Stroud safety. Stroud safety is known for their top quality racing safety equipment from drag shoots and seat belts to fire suits and blankets, all 100% made in America. So log on to stroudsafety.com and make sure you tell them we sent you. Um, my my dad's favorite saying is is uh, practice or repetition of doing it over and over again. You'll never fail at it, right? And so, if I had a bad game hitting, you know, I I I, I never made excuses. But if I had a bad game hitting, you know, I could start to say this and start to say that, and my dad will look at me like, well, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. How much did you hit Monday? How much did you hit Tuesday? How much did you hit Thursday? Do you think that you can take those four days and not hit a baseball and then go into Friday and play? And then he would always throw in there, there's a there's a little boy in, in, in South America over there or or, 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 or you know Venezuela. He's hitting every day because that's how he gets off that island. And you're over here and got it made, and you hit two times a day, and you think you're going to hit good. So he, he, installed, he, he installed that into my mind that you have to practice. You have to do it over and over and over again until you can't do it wrong. It reps Arnold Schwarzenegger says reps and sets everything in life is reps and sets. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, and I get, you know, I see it so frequently. I, I was having a conversation with a friend over the weekend about how many people that we've seen come in the sport, make a huge splash. And it's typically the bigger splash they make, the quicker they exit. Right. Um, but it's crazy because there's so many people I think that dive into drag racing and because they think they've got the bread that it takes to do it, that they're going to be successful. And it's like, no, man, you, you cannot. There are, there's obviously some exceptions to the rule. I'm sure. Um, you know, one that's blowing my mind right now that I think we should talk about at some point is like what Jason Scruggs is doing in NHRA pro mod. Like the fact that a full-time farmer shows up at a handful of these races and like qualifies number one or is a threat to win is, or wins is, Different than a full-time farmer, though, man. Yeah, he's different than a full-time farmer. But I do think it's funny that, like, he doesn't race that much, man. And he's still real. Now, granted, he's got a gazillion reps and sets under his belt. So it's a different thing. But my my point is just that you got to see the tree a lot. You got to do this a lot. And I, I, 
I wish more people would take that approach early on because I think they could save them some heart, save themselves some heartache, save themselves some embarrassment or some frustration because you got to test. I mean, you got to run the wheels off these things. Go rent SGMP for a week like Jay Cox did when he was first getting his feet underneath them. I mean, it's I think that that's an important story. Tell me about the lessons you said that you learned something from racing every day looking at life and looking at everything through the lens of, of taking a step back and all that's happened after the, you know, the course of the last decade plus that you've been drag racing. What do you think about, I mean, how much has this sport impacted your life? I mean, when you think about your social circle, your friends, lessons learned, um, business things that you've learned, connections you've made. Uh, I try to tell people all the time that I don't know that there's like a more valuable community to be a part of than this one that we're in. I mean, when you think about all the connections you've made, Jay, I mean, what's the sport of drag racing mean? What has it meant to you to I, this point? I, I just love all the people I've met. You know, there, there's some people that hate me. I'm not going to say there ain't. And use this because I, I'm a very outspoken person. i tell you where I stand. But for the most part in drag racing, 99% of those guys are great guys. They're great business people and great family people, and they're great to be around. They'll help you do anything in the world. Drag racing has just... It's broadened my whole whole circle of just great people I've surrounded myself with, and I, and I, and I appreciate that out of drag racing. Um, the lessons that drag racing, Clint Hurdle, he, he was with the Rockies when I first got there, and uh, he gave a speech one day, and it's always stuck in my mind. He said there's two types of people, those that are humbled and those that will become humbled. And I had a lot of success, and typically when I had success, I let you know it, and I talked a little junk, and I talked a little trash. Over the years, racing has humbled me a lot in the fact that, you know, you might be on top of the world today. You might go out there, run really good, stomp everybody in the ground, but there's three or four guys, they're coming for you next week. It don't care what it costs. They're going to spend it, um, and they're coming for you. And so it, it, the biggest lesson racing's taught me, I think, and, and you remember me back in the day, 15, 16, 17, me and Stevie Jackson and Tommy and Lizzie. Man, we were at each other's stroke every day. There was videos, this and that. And people say it's good for drag racing. Maybe it is, maybe not. I'm not going to argue that. But the fact that racing in a general is a very humbling sport. It don't matter how much money you have. It don't matter what kind of equipment you have. If you don't do every single aspect of it right for four or five passes or rounds that day, you're going home. The man beside you is going to beat you. And so it's you have to stay focused. You're, you're dead tired. You've been up all night working, and you have to stay focused, and you have to stay humble. If you don't, it's going to beat you, you know, and that's the number one thing that, that I think racing has taught me, my number one lesson. I try to stay that way with everything, you know, even even with my businesses here. When they're doing really, really good, I try to prepare for the bad times. I try to stay humble, put money aside, and prepare. So, so racing and all has prepared me for life in general. Do you think that the thing that you make a great point, because you, you talk about everything having to be done exactly right. And I, I think about this and I try to share this story as often as I can, because I know it's easy for people that aren't like in the limelight, like all the race car drivers and the high level crew chiefs, the people like you and, you know, the other crew guys and tuners that have a really, you know, like have a significant public profile. Right. But it's easy to feel you know, kind of like you're just a hired hand or you're just a helper. And I'm always quick to try to remind crew guys or people that are on the come up, right? People that are like lending a hand that like, hey, listen, you can have the best people in the world working on this thing. You can make all the right calls. But if you put 70 pounds of air in the left slick and four and a half in the other, 
we're done for, you know? So like every little detail matters. And I was just thinking to myself, and how many teams do you think are out there not knowing that they're not doing everything right? Like you don't know what you don't know. And you think there are plenty of teams out there that probably feel like they're, they're doing everything right. This is, but they just maybe don't know this one thing yet or just haven't figured out this one thing that's keeping them from that breakthrough moment. I mean, how many teams have you gotten the phone call to like come help that were like a shock setting, like so close yet so far away from being successful? Um, you know, probably all the, and, and I know I go back to baseball, but a lot of the things I do in racing come back from baseball. All the coaches do all the year. They have, you know, they'd have your name up there, West Book. They would have the things that you are responsible for. You do good, you know, whether you're a pinch hitter or an outfitter or a defensive player, they would list the things you were good at. They would list the things that you're not good at. And um, everywhere is like that. So in racing, and a lot of my guys, my especially someone new, I've kept I've kept all my crew guys um, the same. For all the years, the guys I got right now have been with me my whole time. They've been with me 15-plus years, except for Richard. He's been with me five years. But And they can tell you, they can attest to this. I give them a piece of paper with a list of what they're responsible for. You know, Doug has six things to do. Andrew has six things to do. Richard has six things, seven things to do. Um, nobody does somebody else's job, but they all check behind one another. And I tell them every day, don't be the reason we lose a day. If you have to check that seven times, check it seven times. And I think the successful teams, the teams that – I'm not talking just wins a race. When I say successful, I'm talking about from the start to the drop of the hammer at the end of the year, successful throughout the whole year. I think they do that. I mean, you look at Jim Halsey, same crew guys for the last 10 years. Uh, Tommy Franklin, same crew guys for the last 10 years. When you have the same people there and you do the same job over and over again, it goes back to what my dad installed in me. When you do something enough times over and over again practicing, you can't do it wrong. And I think when you do that enough, that's when the success starts to happen, you know? Don't you think it's important to identify for racers too that like, do you have to have this conversation when you're like tuning on cars that like we've got to find a way to feel like we've been successful this weekend without necessarily winning the final, right? Because like you can't put enough focus on that. But if that's the only way, because you lose a lot in drag racing, no matter how successful you are, no matter how big your name is, you lose a lot. I, and I, I just think that's such a unique thing because you've kind of got to find a way to, to seek motivation outside of that win in the final because right because it's I, I would hate to say how many teams race in pdra that are badass teams great people that have great equipment that won't win this year i mean just being honest you're exactly right i don't yes i want to win and i focus of course not that but and i and i talk to my guys about this all the time winning is when that car comes back into the pit it's serviced it goes to the starting line and it's ready to go down the racetrack race they don't have a leak Something don't fall off on it. A part don't fail to start. That, in my book, is winning. You know, it's. I'm not saying it's stressful, but it's some added stress when you know you have an hour and ten minutes and you're taking that car to start line to race Tommy Franklin or Jim Halsey or Marcus Butner or Ricky Smith because their stuff is right. Yours has to be right to go to the finish line, you know? And, and, and that's what my team or my guys or my crew guys, we find success or, or, or we get our ups and downs from that. You know, if one of my guys make a mistake, I don't jump on them, you know. But 
they beat themselves up enough, I don't have to. Right. Feel like they that's in that the case though, right? I mean, that's so frequently the case. I mean, you hate it's one of the hardest things for me is and I'm quick to like there's it's not total uncommon, totally uncommon for like, you know, people to like pop off or smart off when somebody has some issue on the starting line. And I'm always quick to jump ass on that deal because it's like you think they went up there wanting that the hat do you have no idea how many busted knuckles and fights and arguments and sweat through your socks, miserable moments these guys have had today, and you're gonna give them an ounce of shit. You, you can't because you just don't know. It's the it's the most brutal endeavor going drag racing, even if everything goes right. Do you have to like vet your crew guys? Do you have to tell them like on day one? Did you have to tell all your guys that have been with you all this time? Like, hey, man, I race hard. I race different than some other people race. No, they they, they br- knew they bring a body armor suit two <laughs> two guns and a and 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 a tranquilizer to the to the race with me, man. They know. They know when they show up on Wednesday, man, when we set the awning up. I set the awning up at a, at a pace of about 150 mile an hour. <laughs> From Wednesday till Saturday night when it's done, it is wide open all the time. And there's a lot of guys that service their engines early in the morning. I, I can't sleep if my car is not ready to go down the racetrack. Does that make sense? Am I, that's 100%. My, my guys – they don't fuss about it. They've gotten used to it by now. But in the beginning, they were like, "Hey, man, let's let's you know hang out. Let's go to bed. It would just I'm get like, up early. <laughs> I want to wake up in the morning with the mindset I'm ready to go kick somebody's teeth in. And well, you want to go to breakfast with your dad? Yeah. Well, we well, he cooks breakfast at the racetrack now. Yeah. But but that's my mindset. But no, I run I run a hundred mile an hour. They know it. They're used to it. I think you know you got to remember something, West. And, and we were joking about this the other day. But uh, I'm going to go down the line for you with age here. My dad's 75, Doug 69 or 68, size 70, Richard's 47, and Andrew's 57. I mean, I got a rest home, and I love them. I'll do anything (laughs) in the world for these guys, and they will – if we had to fight Mike Tyson tomorrow, every one of my guys would be right there with me. But, I mean, it's like I went to a rest home and put a set of crew guys (laughs) – and, and, and maybe the other teams should take you up on that. Like, hey, everybody's looking for ways to contribute locally. Roll up to your local senior citizen home and tell them you got a pro mod that you need some help with. And you'd probably be surprised. Hey, and I'm telling you something, man. I think, honestly, my guys don't get enough credit. I think that's why we do as good as we do. I have older veteran guys. They all get along great. There's, ne- I can tell you right now, there's never been an argument in my pit between my crew guys. They all show up on time. They handle their business. They clean their stuff up, and my car is ready. And, you know, we sit here and we talk about Jay Cox and how good he does and how good his racing is and this and that. Dude, I might deserve 10% of that credit. They deserve 90% of that credit. And, and I joke with them all the time about their age, but if I had to go out tomorrow and put another team together – I wouldn't look for a young guy. There's too many attitudes and, and, and prima donnas that think they everything's owed to them. I like these older guys. I love them. I'll do anything in the world for these guys, and they would me. And, Wes, I'm going to tell you hands down, man, that's single-handedly the number one reason I've had the success I've had over the years. And that, me backing away from racing, dude, I'm, not, I, I'm a very tough guy, but emotionally that's probably one of the hardest things for me because you know my dad made the comment how much longer do i have do i have enough time left to watch you race again 
man, I got some old guys that love they they love racing, but they love me, you know. And so, man, that makes it tough on me, man. I I can only imagine, man. I mean, why don't you? I've got a, I've got a handful of things I want to talk about. Man, um, hey, man, we got all day. Yeah. So why don't you? What was that like? I mean, was there a moment? that happened like you, you talked earlier about meeting with Marcus halfway through the season. And I think that, like you said, that's anybody who's keeping, you know, their, their affairs in order are probably having conversations like that um, or should be, you know, you got to be looking forward. I tell my team all the time, you got to keep the pipeline full. You know, you it's, it's important to be thinking about what comes next. When did, when did this hit you? Was there a moment, a phone call, a missed deal? Did you miss something with your kids? A phone call, a conversation with your wife? Like, no, what was the ultimate catalyst? Man, there's not been nothing major, but my girl, my, my little girl, um, dude, she's badass in gymnastics. I, I don't know where she get this from. I could show you over there on the wall, man. She's won like every gymnastics meet she's been to, and. Me and her were sitting on the couch one day, and she started crying, and she got upset. And I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, you're not coming to my gymnastics meet this weekend? I'm like, I got to go racing. And she's like, well, it's the last one, and I'm going to win it for you. I'm like, well, baby, you've won every one of them. She's like, yeah, but you ain't seen them. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, and it, and it kind of hit me, and she's right. You know, um, it, it, I, I'm not saying that, but it's the grand scheme of things. I, I just sit there, and I thought, you know, a lot of people don't realize it. My dad and never – missed a baseball game now i want the type of guy that just played in the spring i played for five baseball teams when i was in high school right traveling teams and all that was a thing I, then right still is i, I went north carolina didn't have a team when i was 16 i was actually 15 and i played with the 16 year olds i played in the state of virginia and we won the 16 year old world series my dad and mom would leave right here we played tuesday we played thursday and then we played friday saturday sunday somewhere my mom and dad would drive up Tuesday, watch a ball game, drive home. Four hours. They would drive up Thursday, four hours, watch a ball game, drive back home. My mom and dad would drive Friday wherever we were playing. They never missed a baseball game. And, you know, I get asked all the time, Carolina, I, I still talk to the coaches and stuff up there in Carolina, the alumni people, they call me all the time. They ask what's my single most fondest memory about baseball my career and it's that my parents never left my side they were always there and i'll never leave them side to the to the day they're done i always have their back i'll always take care of them they'll never go to a rest home they will live with me i will take care of them they've always been there and i won't i got that bond with my family and my kids i want that with my kids i want my kids one day to look at and be like man my mom and dad never missed nothing they were always there i got their back no matter what you know my freshman year, I didn't know if I was going to play the, the very first game in Miami. I had an idea I was, but they don't post the roster who's flying to Miami, right? And I get that thing on uh, – They I, don't? Yeah, do what? They don't post the roster. Like, you don't they, find out until – day you're leaving. You know, so they only really? – you can only travel with 25. And we had 30-something guys on the team. Well, they posted on Wednesday. I run in there, look at it, see it, call my old man. I'm like, hey, I'm playing. And he's like, all right. I was like, I guess you ain't going to make it. He said, bullshit, I'm going to beat the bus there. And mom and dad got in the truck, and they were in Miami. And, and, and you know, he's, he's my first month of pro ball, he went out and stayed with me and, and watched. He, he didn't want to miss a game, you know. That's I, I don't want to miss them moments with my kids, man. I only got one shot at this, and, man, I want to – I'm like a sponge when it comes to my kids. I want to soak it all in, man. I want to be there for every single thing. It's uh, it makes me feel good because there are times like I struggle, you know, 
personally, just because people ask me all the time, like, how did drag illustrated happen or whatever? Like, well, man, it's just the same story you got. I wanted to go drag racing. Like that's, you know, I started this business because I couldn't weld where the shit, right? I mean, I'm not a fabricator. I was like, how do I, I got to find a way, got to, I've got to create a way to go to the drag races. Like I want to be at the drag races all the time. That's what I want to do. And I got to find a way. And like, if I had rich parents or if I had like a, you know, whatever, you know, I'd have been racing just like, you know what I mean? I'd have bought me a race car. We'd have gone racing, but I couldn't afford it, you know? And it's like, I had to find a way to get involved with the sport of drag racing and make it my career. And like, thank God I did. And everything has worked out like knock on wood, like fairly well, we got a long way to go, but like things are happening, you know, but it's, I struggle with that. Cause it's like, man, I want to race, but I'm in this moment in my life where I got two young kids and I think about it for the first time I live near a racetrack throughout most of my life, a racetrack was kind of hard to get to, or they were limited offerings. It's not like North Carolina where there's 20 drag strips, you know, a hundred miles, you know, in a hundred mile radius. It's not like that in the Midwest. So it was kind of like, no one expected you to go racing when you lived in the Midwest. Cause there's dirt tracks everywhere, but there really weren't that many drag strips. Um, nothing that was super convenient, at least anyways, down here in Dallas, there's a drag strip everywhere. Like there's <laughs> so many drag strips down here. I could race, three, four nights a week if I wanted. And I keep my wife and I keep, I'm like, man, I got to get, I got to get a car. Like I got to get something. I got to get something, but I've got kids and I keep reminding myself that there's time. Like I've got time to go racing, but I don't have, I'm not going to get this time back with, back with Max and Sophia. Like I've got to make this a priority now because it's not like you get a remake. And I know tons of people, mentors that I've had that had all this success early in their life. And I see them now scrambling to try to make things right with their kids. You know what I mean? And I don't want to do that. Like, that's not, do you know what I'm saying? I want to be able to continue my relationship with my kids, not try to repair it. Yeah, probably. And you, I don't, I should talk about this or say this, but probably, probably one of my biggest idols, you know, Charles Carpenter and, uh, and Ricky Smith growing up, man, I thought they walked on water. You know, I, I followed them religiously and uh before i ever got running nitrous cars me and charles talked a lot at galat and he was always real welcoming to me and ricky's kind of talked to me a lot throughout the years been you know i love ricky smith and i love charles carpenter like a father still to this day and um i, I sat down with ricky probably six months ago when i was thinking about all this and and, and and quitting drag racing and he had tears in his eyes and he told me he said man if I could do things different in, in in my life, if I could go back and change it, I'd do a lot of things different with my kids. He said, and I understand where you're coming from. And uh, he said, you know, I had to do it to make a living. You don't. And, and it made me really sit back and think because somebody of his statue, somebody that's like him that's done the things he's done in racing, if he could change it with his family, he would. It made me – because – Racing to me is not what it is to somebody that does it for a living. I do this for fun. This is my hobby. This is this is what I consider my family getting together and going having fun doing, you know. Um, that really made me sit back and think about it. And I sat down and realized, man, I got realistically seven, maybe eight years left with my kids. They're going to college. They're going to be home and start a family. Seven years is nothing for me to give them, you know, to be there for them. And, um you know, it's that's that seeing that. Ricky be so successful at his age. Does that is that kind of excite? Because I was thinking about this the other day. Drag racing, there is a selling point to our sport that you don't have to be, you know, a young whippersnapper necessarily to do it. Like you may be 
like maybe some of these things. You and know Ricky, what I mean? Ricky, but, Ricky, Ricky is a. There's not rare. many Ricky. No, Smith. there's not many Rickies. No. Seventy years old and to do what he does is pretty. I give him a lot of shit. But man, be seventy years old. My dad's seventy-five, and he's tough as damn light or not. I don't know how he does it, but man, to be seventy years old and do, and do what he does, I think it would be very asinine of me to think that I could be seventy and do what he does. I mean, there's not many seventy-year-old no. men that what what he does. I think I'll still have an opportunity to race one day. The only thing that scares me about backing away from racing, I'm not a very financially wealthy person. Um, to come back to this sport, say, 10 years from now and say, hey, I want to drive, I think, uh, man, I think it would be very tough because you're going to have to find somebody that financially wants to back you. And, you know, I, I, I am selling everything. And the reason I'm selling it, you know, the market's high right now. I can get good money for it. I can put that money away from my family. The only thing I might not sell is the car. Me, I, I'm, I'm on the fence about that, man. My dad it's like the world's going to come to an end if I sell that car. So I might hang on to the car. I might set it over here in the corner. Um, but They are worth their weight in gold right now, right? Man, they, 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 they look at it. Over the last 10 years, they, they haven't gone down. They're steadily going up. They might plane off a little bit, but they'll take right back off. And hands down, that car is one of the baddest cars ever built, in my opinion, the new car I got now. The old car was a very good car. This car is a few hundreds faster. Man, it – the technology, me and Ricky Jones, we talk, and Ricky, Ricky Jones and Rick Jones, we talk every week. The technology is not going to change with us on these chassis. They're getting all they can get out of them. You understand? How and much do you like? How much has it changed since you started, though? A lot, really. A lot. Well, the the, the the thing that's changed is the damn motors, man. Think about yeah, it. We they were running four eight forties. They went to five inch. They went to five two. They went to five three. The motors started making so much more torque. They weighed three hundred pound more. The engine placement and the tubing that had to be in that car to withstand all the power you're putting to it. That's, that's what's changed, you know? Um, but my, my, my old car was an 11. It's, it was a badass car. It, it was about 200 off on this new car. And, um, you know, Ricky and Rick did a heck of a job. I, 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 I don't know what'll happen with the car. Everything else is sold. A bunch of stuff's already been sold. I got the truck and the trailer, but, but, um, it's like I told Dad. I said, "Listen, we own a towing company, Pops. All right. Ten years from now, you're still kicking it. You want to go racing? We'll roll that bad boy on the rollback. We'll go down to the lot, go number one qualifier, and kick their teeth in. Okay? We don't have to have a trailer or a truck. We need a pop up tent, a cooler, cook some hot dogs, and we will go down there and kick their teeth in. I promise you. My crew guys will probably be in wheelchairs rolling around. We will go down there if that's what my old man wants to do." We will go down there and kick their teeth in. Actually, uh, I hope you do that. Like, because is there, like, well, I guess. If two I roll it down there on the rollback with a pop up tent, will oh. you come be one of my crew guys? Be Lock honest. in. Well, you're going to need crew guys because the restroom will be on oxygen. But, I'm so I'm coming. You better, you better hope I come. Uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll definitely come. But don't you, I got two questions. Well, so first, let's talk about this. Um, my fa- one of my favorite Jay Cox stories, one of my favorite Jay Cox memories is at MIR. You beating Lizzie in the final and driving that thing back up the the return. If I win Galat, hands down, if I win Galat, I'm driving it back down the racetrack. I don't care if they've started another pair. I'm driving it back down the racetrack. Please, for the love of God, I'm holding you to it. All right, so take us through that night. For those that don't know, and I think we can talk pretty candidly about this because all of us are good buddies with Pat Musi now, specifically you. Back then, not so much the case, right? So Lizzie is making a run uh, in Pro Nitrous. 
this. This is before she'd made the move to No Prep Kings. Her star's rising. She's becoming more and more well-known. Jay Cox is one of like the perennial kind of – you're an interesting case, Jay, because you've got this <laughs> – That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, well, when you think about it in pro wrestling terms, I think you've got a lot of heel – characteristics you know what i mean you kind of got to talk but you're you're lovable too so you're kind of like the perfect kind of villain bad guy because you're really likable you know what i mean Uh, i've always been that way though man and and that's the thing i I don't mean nothing by it i just what i'm saying i tell you where i stand and i tell you what i'm gonna do i might not do it at that moment (laughs) but if you make me mad enough i'm going home and figuring it out and i'm gonna do it when i do it i'm gonna tell you i've done i'm gonna tell you i told you i was gonna kick your ass i kicked your ass and here's how i've done it and and a lot of people don't like that and pat i'm gonna go on the record and say this i love pat moosey i come to pat he had no reason to help me he had no reason to take care of me all the bad stuff i heard about pat every bit of it was a lie he put his arms around me he gave me the baddest engines money could buy if i needed something he took care of me and I looked him in the face and told him I'd take care of him, and that's what I've tried to do. And we have had a great relationship, and I don't know if there's a more honest person in drag racing. And I'll tell you this. You get out of Pat Moosey what you put into him. If you give him bullshit, he's going to give you bullshit. If you're honest and upfront with him, he's going to be honest and upfront with you. And I'm going to push you on the spot, but I think this is worth mentioning. Um, I'm going to tell the story about Lizzie. Two, I want to tell two, though, that real right. quick. Did that man not send you down with a motor, like with more motors than you owned to the World <laughs> Series of ProMod? Man, yes. And he flew. He bought his own. T- he, I went down there to World Series of ProMod, and he said, I want you to have enough motors that you and Tommy Franklin can do whatever y'all need to do. And I drove to his shop and picked up every engine that man owned. And we had to rent a U-Haul to haul all the motors down there. And we didn't need them. But, man, we stood on them and – we found a lot of stuff out with these motors. These motors are way underrated. They can handle a lot of abuse, these engines. And it, it shows, I mean, the, the, these are good engines. And Pat, Pat flew down there and took care of us. But I know the but story. How cool is that, right? That I mean, is, if you think about a, the that guy is, that's building the engines in this moment we're in in time where shit's hard to get, everything's on back order, everything's yeah, we, a big ordeal. This guy loads a U-Haul truck up and, with motors and sends them to the World Series. Like, for me, that's the type of story that makes me get out of bed in the morning. You know what I mean? Thinking about he, that is what drives to, me every day. He wanted to make his mark at the World Series of Pro and I think he did. You know, 100%. The, the boosted cars have us covered a little bit. Y'all are doing a good job with the rules. When the rules are there, you're going to see how fast these nitrous cars really are. They're good cars. But All right, so you want to hear our Lizzie Moosey story. I in do want to hear the Lizzie story. Set the stage for those the that te- weren't the there. Tell, to tell that story, I have to tell the first story that year. Okay. So the beginning, the starting of that year, um, I didn't have a sponsor. We were racing in South Georgia, first race of the year. I didn't even test with. I showed up on the day of testing. I didn't even run Q1 in Georgia. I roll it out Q2. I go number one. I roll it back for Q3. I set the national record and go number one. And we won every round. I get the Lizzie in the final. She's won a 69. My motor's tired, man. I mean, it's beat up. I told Dad, I said, we at best. I mean, 69 is flying back then. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. that was four years ago. In fairness, <laughs> it's fast as boy right now. I know. But okay. she, went, she went 69, and I went 70 flat. And I told Dad, I said, look, man, this motor is beat up a little bit. 
I said, she's good on the tree. If she does her job, man, there's nothing I can do with her. I said, and I can't, we, we don't even have a sponsor. So can't afford to tear nothing up. Um, I said, we're just going to have to go up there and race her. Like I know how to race her. I just got a racer. And, 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 and in my whole life, I've always tried to find, I study people. I try to find their weaknesses. Well, she always likes to go in last, or she did back then. Now she don't. But, um, so we roll up there. I made them fill the fuel cell up with so much fuel, it was dripping out, going through the staging lanes. And uh, she fired up during her deal. I fired up, done my deal. We back up. She's over there messing with me, won't turn the light on. I shut the car off. I shut the car off and throw the door open. And my dad's on the radio going crazy. What are you doing? What are you? I mean, listen. I have the nitrous bottles on. I have the water pump running. The nitrous is turned on. Everything's on. Just the engine is turned off. That's it. I see her over there messing with. They don't know I've cut the car off. When they come, and you've got the video somewhere. They come up there, do all this mess. They make us get ready to stage the car. And I hit the, I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind now, hey, man, the water pump's been running for about 10 seconds. Everything's been running. I hope this thing cranks. I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> Man, I hit the button and it fires up. We put it in the lights. She, we were kind of dead even. She went out there and shook, but she burnt so much fuel off on the front of that car. Wait, it just got the front end up. It shook a little bit and we went through there and won. So Pat's already mad. He slammed his radio, busted, and I give him shit about that still to this day. He's busted <laughs> his radio, slammed it down. He rides by me at the finish line. I do the interview, and they're like, hey, man, what was taking you so long? I said, man, look, I'm from the South, and I believe in ladies first. I was going in there and get comfortable. And, dude, it set them off. So all year we had a little going back and forth deal. Well, we get to Maryland, and uh, I have to run her in the finals. And I don't know what happened, but we left. Everything, we're, we're kind of dead even. Everything's right. She said she was out on me. I was out on her. And the tree don't work. A moth flies in front of the finish line, and it throws some crazy number up. Well, I had to run her in the finals boat, and I had a sponsor, and I had some parts. So I peeled this bad boy up, and, I mean, I leaned on it. So I had to either freshen it or put a motor in. And they're going to make us rerun it because the tree messed up. And I'm down there showing my tail, Pat showing his tail, and I'm like, fine. Y'all keep arguing. I'm going to put in. We went and stuck a rack in my motor, the rerunner. And Pat's raising cane because I get to re put a rack in mine, so he puts a brand new motor in his. And you right, know, just real quick, you, so this story is it, it's accelerating rapidly. And if yeah. I don't stop, you guys, okay, I knew about the tree malfunction or the the timing system goof, right? Which just is so classic summer door slammer racing, right? Um, you guys put a rack in that thing? Like, it's so you put a rack in, in it 30, we, we, put, we put a rack in it in 38 minutes. Blake, producer, that's putting rods and pistons in this thing. 38 minutes we had a rack in it. Didn't even start it. We took it to the finish line unstarted. But that's the, you know, that's the confidence I have in my guys. But in the meantime, Pat and my dad try to kill one another on the starting line. They're up there trying to fight. There's people holding them back. This and is I'm before like, the rerun, right? This is before the rerun. Okay. They're trying to fight on the damn starting line. My dad's like, I'll try you. I'm on I'll, you know, they're, they're going back and forth, him and Pat. I mean, it's fucking, they're both 70-year-old up there trying to fight one another. I mean, it's crazy. Geriatrics. But, yeah, so we get them all rebuilt. We pull up there. They're going to rerun the deal. And I told my old man, my old man said, <laughs> I should, uh, he said, if Pat walks over here, I'm going to knock him out. And I know Pat. I mean, Pat, if he gets a confrontation, hell, he's going to fight. So oh, in yeah. the back of my mind, I'm Can't like, wait. 
I'm like, if I win, these two fuckers are going to be in a fight by the time I get back to the starting line. And I'm like, the only way I can get back is, and see, in, in the Renegade days, we used to get to drive them back. It was so cool, man. We could drive them back. The fans would be clapping and cheering. I told Doug, my crew guy, I said, hey, man, win, lose, or draw, I'm whipping this thing around at the finish line. I'm firing it up, and I'm coming back. Y'all don't get in my way. And so I left. She shook. I won the race. I make the turn. And I fought. Because I'm thinking about big. So you didn't have room to loop, did you? Oh, at Maryland, you do. Absolutely. Because it's it's real long. Oh, I looped it. The fire guys, they're running out there to get my chutes. That bitch fires back up and they're running back like this. They thought it just started up on their own. Fire guys are moving out of my chutes. And man, I fired that bad boy up. And I didn't, like, mat it to the floor, but I went ahead and got on it pretty good, you know, and it took off hauling ass back down there. And all of a sudden, it, like, I hadn't got to the crowd yet, man. I wanted to get to the crowd and give it, like, a long wah-wah on the throttle. And it goes, uh, buh, 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 buh. I'm like, shit. I hit the starter. I'm like, Bruh. it fires up. I hit the gas, and it goes, buh. So I had to coast by the crowd with the shoots out. But, man, I, I felt like I was doing something kind of cool. It was super cool. Man, we went up to the start line. We went. I'll never forget this. We went up to the start line. I got out. Everybody's high-fiving. We're happy. And the tech guy walks over, and he's like, hey, man, um, did you weigh yet? And I'm like, no. He's like, you know you're disqualified if you didn't weigh. I said, man, ain't there something in the rule where you have to leave the racetrack? Like the like the starting surface? He's like, yeah. I said, well, technically, I ain't pulled off the starting surface. I just came back to the starting line. So. <laughs> We had to hook the golf cart to this thing, and he made me pull it the whole entire length of that racetrack. I couldn't turn it around. I had to yeah. pull it backwards the whole length of the racetrack to go reweigh this thing at 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh. But it was fun. Me and Pat joke about that. I, I love that, man. That 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 was that was a lot of fun. That's the memories I love to take with me, man, with this race. It's it's special, dude. Oh, guys, real quick, let's take a minute and pay some bills here. The West Buck Show is brought to you by way of FlowRacing.com. If you're a drag racer or a hardcore drag racing fan, you gotta get on board with Flow Racing. The world leader in sports live streaming, Flow Racing provides unlimited coverage of drag racing's biggest events like Donald Long's Lights Out, No Mercy, and Sweet 16. Every stop on the PDRA and NMCA tours, Funny Car Chaos, World Cup Finals, Streetcar Super Nationals, the Drag Illustrated World Series of Pro Mod, and much, much more. Personally, flow racing is a fixture in my life. I'm able to follow along with multiple racing events from the comfort of of my own home or while I'm out on the road. The platform provided by flow racing is changing the sport for the better, and there is no limit to the good they can do here. So log on to flowracing.com dot com today and join the movement tell me you bring up pat and he's one of the guys that we've been able to lean on kind of around this conversation and the more the more i talk about it the more you talked a little bit about rules and just king for a day dreaming a little bit here is there a way like i just can't and i'm gonna get in trouble for this i get in trouble for it every time i bring it up i just can't help but feel like we should run them pro boost and pro nitrous cars against one another I just I don't have a problem with it, but you know and I know that that man, them things are making five thousand horsepower. I love running against them, but the deal is for us to run with them, it's a one run deal, hands down, one run deal. Tune it up, you know. They're all talking about the sixty one run, man. They went fifty nine in Darlington, two hundreds covered me, and they were eating hot dogs and 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 drinking cold beer, and I was putting a rack in mine that night. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. That, that's the difference. How I much do you rack- have to slow those cars down? Four hundreds, yeah, to make 
But see, to me, I'm just saying, is that that big of a deal? Absolutely. That's it, where racing's at right now. It's not separated. This class ain't separated by by a tenth. Absolutely, it's, it's a big by, deal, or absolutely, it's possible. Absolutely, four hundredths is is a big deal. I mean, no, it's a huge deal. But I'm saying, like, is that not possible? Oh, it's absolutely is possible. But because I, mean, I just problem, think about how good the racing was, and I know World Series is unique in its location, time of year, all those things. But man, when you get all that talent in a single pool, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it, it feels to me like a little it, that's where the opportunity is, because I, I told I was trying to explain it to my wife because she we were on our morning walk and she's going. Uh, we we're just talking about PDRA and I said, I just feel like there's things are it's like bell bottoms. Yeah. They were in style. They went out of style and now they're back. I right? think that's what people want to see with. I think they want to see everybody race and what is the baddest combination out there. We, and, and I'm not just saying this because the, the, the boosted guys know it. I'm not just saying that because I'm a nitrous guy. Oh, no. We, it, are, it's, under, we are undergone, man. We're undergone with that deal. Oh, no. I mean, and, and I think that we're at a time right now where, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think everybody wants to work as hard as Jay Cox and company and Jim Halsey and company. Like, that's a hard way to go drag racing. It really they, is. They I mean, I've had every successful crew guy I've ever talked to, Tuner, of which there are probably thousands, they all point to nitrous pro mod racing as one of the absolute diff- most difficult ways to go drag racing. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. And, and and I don't mind working that hard. I feel bad for my guys, but they love it. But, man, it's tough. When I, when I went to your race, when we started the race that day, I had two motors in the back of the trailer with spark plugs and the oil pumps primed on them. If that tells you what I was ready to do, I mean – I mean, brother, we were we were all in. I don't think you have to race that way with a pro charger or a screw. You know what I mean? And the, you're not going to find there might be four nitrous racers in the world, and I know you know who they are that will race like that and are willing to race like that. You know, there's four nitrous racers that wake up that morning going, "Come hell or high water, or five of my fingers getting cut off, I'm running this thing and running at the front." You know what I did in Darlington. Two weeks ago, my dad's hooting and holler. Everybody's hooting and hollering about it. You mark my word on this. I'm going to call you Friday night. Jim Halsey and Tommy Franklin are coming. I promise you. They ordered fucking 20 pistons last week, two sets of rods, a couple head gaskets. They'll do whatever it takes to outrun me and Galat. They will you. I'm telling you, man. They'll burn up everything they own to prove a point. And that's just... I, that's why I love pro nitrous. I love it. It's, I mean, when you start talking like that, you, you it know, it's you exciting know in a hurry, bro. Yeah, you know I'm telling you the truth, though. I do. I do. Jim, Tommy Franklin was a run behind all weekend. Jim Halsey had a problem, and they I don't know what it was. They got it fixed for race day, but they were a run behind. I had a run on them. And I promise you, they won't let that happen in Glotton. They will, they will come out swinging. He Fucking Halsey might burn three of them up in testing on Thursday just to prove a point. I know those guys <laughs> race with them long enough. And and I'm telling you, like, like I'm going out, and I told, I told you know, your buddy that interviewed me last week, I'm going out. Man, I got every spare part to my name laying in the back of the corner. I'm coming, too. Don't think I ain't coming, brother. I'm coming. You leave I'm, a lasting statement. I'll right? have elbow pads and knee pads on, and we'll get in there and do whatever they want to do, buddy. I'm wide open when I leave there. I might I burn the motorhome driving over there. I'm telling you. <laughs> coming 
<laughs> so whenever put your analyst hat on, right? You're, Cause I, I see this all the time in professional sports. You're like as close you and what, who's the other professional? I guess we got a couple of them. Uh, Fletcher Cox. I mean, he, he counts. Um, there's a few of you pro sports guys, um, but put on your analyst hat. That's what happens in stick and ball sports. You go from playing on the field to, to talking about what happens whenever you think about PDRA, all you've seen over the years, who's like the hot new guy, the up and comer in pro nitrous. I'm going to do, make you do both classes. Like who's really impressing you in pro nitrous right now. Is it Marcus Butner? Like I know, know that guy that well, but he really impressed me on the PA at uh, Maryland earlier this summer, he went some rounds, right? Win the race and his interviews. I was like, this guy's getting better every time the camera's on him. Uh, who, who do you got an eye on right now? Up and coming talent. Hand, hands down, Marcus Butner is going to be the, the, I'm going to say the future to drag racing in pro nitrous because he has, he's a very humble guy. He's very young. He's very successful in business and he, and he's very humble. Um, if he sticks with it and he loves, drag racing like i think he does i think he'll be the up-and-coming future of that sport that pro nitrous there's three reasons why wes and i and i noticed with him when he was very young when he got in a car um me sometimes i beat my own self being so high strung so amped up um he's calm cool and collective and that carries on to his driving ability he, he drives that car it don't matter if he's running Ricky Smith or Tommy Franklin or me or Jim Halsey. He drives. It's like he's racing himself. Does that make sense? He's not racing those guys. He goes up there. He does the exact same burnout. He lets go of the button. I mean, he varied six thousands in Maryland when he was racing that day. Six thousands. He does the same thing over and over again. That That's number one why I think he'll be good. Number two. We had a long talk last year. I struggled in the heat with these with these Moosey motors a little bit. And he asked me, he said, what do we got to do? I said, man, we got to make passes. I know it sucks to go climb in that race car when it's 95 degrees, but we got to make passes. We made 50, 60 runs in 95-plus degree weather, 50 or 60 runs. And, you know, I can't drive all them. He, he strapped in and did how many guys, How many successful business people, well, they would have somebody do it. Yes, they would. Strap into a, you know, if it's 95 outside, it's 125, 130 in that race car. We made 50 or 60 runs. Um, that's number two. He The dedication's there. He don't mind dedicating, you know, whatever. And, and the third thing, and I hate talking about this, man, because I hate the money side of racing because only a handful of – he can afford it. He It don't matter what it costs. If, if Jim Halsey outruns him, if Tommy Franklin outruns him, He's just going to write a check to outrun them the next week. The same thing these guys are going to do to me and Galat next week. They're, you know, they wrote the check. When they left Darlington, right. they wrote the check. He's going to write the check. And, and it takes a combination of those three things. You have to be a good driver. You have to be dedicated and put the work in, and you have to have the money. And and he's got all three of those. I think he'll be the future to it if he sticks with it. You know, um, but And I don't see him going to where he loves the sport. I, I think he'll be, he'll be what is going to happen in that sport as far as racing. What about Pro Boost? Do you pay attention to any of those guys over there? I don't. I don't. That's the sad thing, man. I, I'm so. It's hard. It's hard to. I, right. I don't. I don't go around the pits. I'm focused on my deal. I don't watch none of the other racing. I couldn't tell you who was racing Pro Boost. That's I just know. I, I know. I, I'll tell you this. Me and me and Fletcher Cox are pretty good friends. And and, and and though his driver's not new to the sport, I would say Fletcher's new to the whole Pro Boost scene, right? And and we talked a lot, you know. 
once a week, every other week. I think he's dedicated himself. His focus is on football. Football winds down. I think in in the next year or so to come, I think he'll make some really big moves because he wants. You know, he he's one of the best there is in football. Anybody that's played sports or anything like that and known to be the best, no matter what they tackle or go after, they want to be the best at it. I think financially he's got the money to spend, and I think he'll spend the money to be the best at that at that that side of it of of racing. When it's all said and done, and the chips fall where they fall, I think he'll 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 spend the money and be be the best of where he's going to be with that sport. Oh, there's there's no doubt, and I mean it's I feel like he's building. He, there's clearly he's building something. You know what I mean? Like he's he's got a vision for this and where it's going to head. Um, so tell me a little bit about the end of the season here. Uh, we got a couple of races. It's hard to believe that it's October. And um, it's blown by this year. It really has. What, what do you make of, you know, the the one of the big storylines, I think, and this has been a big part of your career, is, I mean, you've seen PDRA from start to finish. Um, where that deal's at right now, kind of standing the test of time, the way that it has, celebrate uh, 10 seasons. I know Tommy Franklin has been a fierce competitor of yours, but what do you make of the PDRA and its significance in the sport of drag racing right now? I, I think it's at, at, at its all-time high right now. I think it's as good as it's ever been. There's 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 money behind it. It's moving it. I think I think that it's it's in a good place. It's got a great car counts. They got a good foundation of support and people behind them. I think the biggest thing with PDRA, you know, I got to see that side of Street Outlaw, right? I think and by far west, you guys do more for PDRA than anybody. Y'all y'all give them all the coverage. Y'all, y'all post the stories. Y'all get it out there. You got a wide, and I thank you for that. But PDRA has to find a way to get something. Not I'm not saying a whole race. They have to get something. Somebody has to put some money together. Somebody's got to get some backing to get something on television. If it's going to grow and get any bigger than it is, it has to get on television. It's hard to argue. I think there's like two pathways. TV is a is a shortcut. It's like the ultimate hack because this is one of the – and I was going to – before I let you go, I wanted to talk about your MPK experience because I think it's always interesting to get like hardcore, you know, organized racing guys' perspectives on uh, No Prep Kings. But I, I think it's that or the right – really what it takes is promotion. Like there's a there's got to be like a ringmaster. My go-to example is always – I don't believe Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant would ever become Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant without Vince McMahon. They may have become something, but the magic was having a promoter and having two-star attractions, right? I mean, that that's the magic. That's the recipe. Uh, P, the t- TV is a fast – you can hack, right? I mean, you – because I think a lot of times people are quick to give Street Outlaws and No Prep Kings tons of credit, and they definitely deserve credit, but you can't – you can't gloss over the impact of network television. I mean, that it puts you in front of a whole lot of people really, really quickly. So many of their people, I'm at the race and so many of their people that come, and this is no knock on no prep guys. I'm not knocking them. What they do is, is fine. I got all the respect for it in the world. I, I don't want to, to, to do that a race like that, but the people that are coming to watch those racers, they're not racers. They're coming to watch a person. They want to come see a person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you how many I'm coming up to me and like, where, where's Lizzie at? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, man, she did so good a while ago. And I'm like, bro, she ain't run all day, man. What are you talking about? You know? Oh, <laughs> we don't care about the car. We just, can she sign this t-shirt? We're going to go back home. 
That's all they care about. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's it, different. They have nothing to do with racing. They don't even ask you racing questions. They are there for that person. That person they saw on that TV screen, you know, they want to go see them in real life, and it only cost them $25. They pay $25. They can go see that person they saw on TV. And I am a – I love crowds, man. I love big crowds, and, and, and they have it. And the TV, single-handedly, the TV done it. I'm not saying it's as simple as just, hey, throwing PDR up on the wall onto a TV deal and it working. No, it has to be promoted, but the TV – it lets you re- reach a lot of people that you'll never reach any other way, you know? Oh, it's and massively PDR, difficult. PDR, no get bigger. They have to. The whole racing community in a whole has to come together, work together, and they have to do something in that nature. You know, get something done that way to reach more people. Um you know, we, we got good crowds, but it's nothing like that, man. That oh, mean, no. It's, I mean, what they've been able to do, My, I've been so impressed by the way it has stood the test of time. No prep kings. Because like, I think all of us were kind of collectively waiting. The most impressive part of the whole deal to me is the number of racers they've gotten to commit to going to 15, 16 races a season. I mean, doesn't that blow your mind knowing what you know and what you talked about earlier about the time commitment and everything else that it takes to be successful drag racing, does it blow your mind the amount of people that commit to that full season? I think it's crazy. It's insane to me. Absolutely, man. And, dude, they don't have any small schedule. That's a huge schedule. And they travel everywhere. I mean, it's every other week Pat's calling. He's in Michigan, Nevada, Las Vegas, Denver. I'm like, Pat, NHRA guys don't do that. I don't. No. But, but you know what, Wes? They pay money. They pay good money there, man. And, and and money and the TV deal, man, I'm telling you, if, if racing in a whole PDRA, the outlaw deal, PDRA's hands down the best. Um, if it's going to get any better, it's going to have to do something like that with TV, man. It's got to get that TV where they can get that following and get that money and put it back into these racers' pockets. It's got to, man. No, I can't argue at all, man. I can't argue at all. Well, hey, dude, so I guess uh, – what else do I want to run by you? I guess, what'd you guys have for breakfast this morning? Man, I eat the same thing every morning. I eat two scrambled eggs and sausage. We eat a little. You're, you're an athlete. We eat it. It's, we eat it's it. Athletes, that's what you guys do. Man, I don't like a lot of change, man. But hey, look, Wes, for you, I know you're about to go, man. And I want to say this, man. I know we give everybody, no, you're good. We give everybody mm-hmm. else credit. I wouldn't be the person I am or the racer I am, and the car wouldn't be what it is without y'all, man, over these years. And, uh, Dude, from the bottom of my heart, buddy, I appreciate everything you, your family, all y'all guys up there at Drag Illustrated have done. Y'all don't get the recognition y'all deserve, but without y'all, there's a lot of racers that nobody would even know about. And from the bottom of my heart, man, if there's anything I can ever do for you, your family, or Drag Illustrated, dude, I'm just a phone call away. And, I, man, I appreciate everything y'all have ever done for me, buddy. Man, it uh, thank you. It, it's, it's a pleasure. I mean, I honestly, it's people like you. Um, is why we do this, you know, cause there you do, you take shit all the time. What have you done for me lately? Right. I mean, you, it's the same life, right? Everybody that's in business for themselves contends with that to a certain extent, but I want you to know that like we do this, I, I want to do this. Right. And I don't get anybody involved with, with drag illustrated that doesn't feel the same way. Um, I feel lucky to get to do this. It's a choice. Um, and I, it's, it's my greatest honor because like all the best people I know, I know because of drag racing. And that's what has always weighed on me is that like, 
I've said it a thousand times. Like if it's the last thing I do, Jay Cox is everybody's going to know Jay Cox. Everybody's going to know Stevie Jackson. Everybody's going to know Tommy Franklin. Like that's, that's what drives me because I think that's what you guys deserve. I think the, when I go to a PDRA race, like everybody else, they're going to a race, but like I'm going and I'm, I'm starry eyed. I'm looking around going, that's fucking Jim Halsey, right? <laughs> like that's, you know what I mean? Like these are guys that I've idolized and looked up to. And I think that's the treatment you guys deserve. And it's always my hope that if, if we set that tone that others will follow and it's working, it's, it takes time, but it's working slowly, but surely, man. And I appreciate all you've done. Uh, you're a huge part of the world series this year. We talked all the time and I told your dad, uh, I always hoped that I would have the opportunity to put on a race that you guys came to like um, that meant a lot to me to like have Jay Cox and Lloyd Cox in the pits at my race. Um, and those are the things that I think about. Like, these are the guys that I want to do this with. And I take a ton of shit for like the invite only and all that stuff. But it's like, I know how hard this stuff is and I know how challenging it is be, to be successful doing it. So I'm going to do it with people that I want to do it with, or I'm not going to do it. Like I'd rather not do it than than not do it without the people that I want to do it with. And you're always going to be one of those guys, man. So thank you very much. Um, it, means it, a goes, lot. it goes without saying, man, you're one of a kind and racing would, uh, racing would not be near what it is without you guys, man. And I, and I do appreciate it a lot with well, hush buddy. We it's like I said, it's a privilege and an honor. And I truly feel, I tell my guys all the time, like, man, we are just getting started. <laughs> like that's the most exciting thing for me is that every time I wake up, every time I go to a drag strip, I feel like, man, we're on fertile soil. Like there's a, there's a lot left for us to accomplish a lot, lot left for us to accomplish.